Well, good morning. Great to see each one out this morning. Great to see your smiling faces. If I can't see your face, I will assume that you are smiling. It's great to be together. The last time I spoke was back in May and did that over Facebook. And it's just not the same when you're sitting by yourself talking to your computer. It's just not the same experience. So I'm thankful to be together in person. It's something that we don't take for granted anymore, or at least we shouldn't. If you're joining us online, great to have you with us as well. And I will also assume that you are smiling. Because the Lord is good. We have a lot of reasons to smile, a lot of reasons to rejoice because of who our Savior is and what he has done for us. You know, I was thinking as, as we were just singing, it's so great to sing together, one voice praising and worshiping our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be doing that through all eternity, so why not start now? It's such a blessing. So I've entitled my message for today, Reaching Forward. Reaching Forward. Now, we're going to be spending most of our time in Philippians chapter 3, so if you want to get a head start and turn there in your Bibles, you can, or on your device, whatever you're using. That's where we're going to be parked for most of the time. Now, this idea of reaching forward is something that the Lord has been bringing to light in my own life lately and and really impressing upon my heart. It's a vital concept in the life of a Christian And we're going to see why as we take a look at it this morning. So before we go any further, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, the privilege that it is to gather together, to praise you, to worship you. Lord, to look into your word, to remember what your son, the Lord Jesus, has done for us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that that is. Lord, that's not something to be taken lightly or taken for granted. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, Lord, that you would move our hearts. Lord, speak to us through your word. We know that your word does not return void. Lord, it accomplishes the purpose that you have set for it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would challenge hearts, Lord, encourage those that are here and those that are listening. And Lord, may these words be your words and not my own. And Lord, we thank you for all your goodness to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our natural tendency seems to be to dwell on what's behind us rather than what's before us or ahead of us. It's generally easier to dwell on the past or the present than what's ahead. But in the life of a Christian, that shouldn't be the case. What's ahead of us is infinitely greater than what's behind us or even where we're currently at. So let's take a look at what God's word has to say about this. So we're going to read Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. So the verses that I really want to zero in on are verses 12 to 14, but we're going to read the whole chapter since we're going to be looking at different verses from the chapter and and they all kind of tie together. So Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Remember what I was just saying about smiling and rejoicing? We are to rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. 
For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus." Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Now, I think Philippians has to be one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's just full of rich and practical truth, and chapter 3 is no exception to that. So let's jump back to verses 12 to 14, where, this, where Paul talks about this idea of reaching forward. So 12 to 14 again. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So let's break this down. Whatever this is that Paul's talking about here, 
He's saying that he hasn't gotten there yet. He hasn't obtained it. He hasn't arrived. But he presses on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of him, or the reason why Christ has laid hold of him. So why has Christ laid hold of us? Why has he saved us? Well, in Colossians 1.22, it says, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So who is the one person that we know that is holy and blameless and beyond reproach? Anyone? Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled by the Lord Jesus to be made like the Lord Jesus. In Romans 8.29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So what Paul is talking about here is Christ-likeness, or being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love how the ESV translates verse 12. In the ESV, verse 12 reads, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So we're pressing on to lay hold of Christ-likeness, because the Lord Jesus has first made us his own. He has bought us and purchased us us with his precious blood when we've come to him in faith and repentance. Now in verse 13, it says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So again, Paul emphasizes that he hasn't gotten there yet. He hasn't reached the goal. But he has a singular focus. One thing I do. He has a one-track mind. He's forgetting what lies behind, and he's reaching forward to what lies ahead. So let's stop right there and take a closer look. What are these things behind that we're to forget about? Well, in verses 4 to 6, Paul's giving us a list of things in his past, things behind him, things that he's forgetting about. So starting at verse 4, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So his ancestry, his nationality, his culture, his prestige, his education, his religion, personal achievements, and self-righteousness. He's forgetting about it all. He's leaving it all behind. Now, just in case somebody says, yeah, but look what I've done. Look what I've done over here. He says, no, I have you all beat. As far as what we can bring to the table in of ourselves, he had it all. But how did Paul view all of these achievements and and this pedigree that he has? Well, in verses 7 to 8, we read, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. So all of these things in his past, all of these things that were once considered gain to him, he says that they are lost, they are worthless, they are rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says that all of our righteousness, our self-righteousness, is as filthy rags. It's, it's worthless. There's no value to it. So where does that leave us? Well, in verse 9 to 11, we read, And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship or participation in his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, before we go any further, I just want to say that if there is anyone here this morning or anyone tuning in online that has not put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone to save them, today is the day. If you are trusting in your own righteousness, your own good works and credentials like Paul did at one time, as we've seen, that's futile and worthless. The only way to eternal life is by grace, through faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. His shed blood, his death and resurrection, coming empty-handed to him as a bankrupt sinner, and acknowledging that he is the only way to eternal life. There's nothing we can bring, there's nothing that we can add. If you haven't done that, I pray that today will be the day. Now, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've, we've left behind our worthless works and, and self-righteousness, as Paul did, but we still need to continually forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. And we don't want to be dragged down by our past sins and failures. That The enemy tries to use that to discourage us. We need to leave those things in the past and reach forward. Our sins have been paid for by the precious blood of Christ. Now, we don't want to forget those things in the sense that uh, we don't learn from them and end up repeating them. We need to learn from our sins and failures and repent of them, but we don't want to dwell on them. Now, even when it comes to positive things like achievements, successes, or even spiritual triumphs, we can't stay there. We can't ride on those things. Yes, we give thanks and glory to the Lord for what he does and, and the work that, that he does through us, but we have to continually reach forward. We can never be content or satisfied with where we've been at or where we're currently at in our Christian life. It's always reaching forward. Now, as we read earlier, Paul said over and over that he had not yet reached the goal, that goal of Christ-likeness. Now, I don't know about you, but if a man like Paul had not reached that goal, I definitely have not reached that goal. So we've looked at what we're forgetting, what lies behind, but what about the reaching forward part? What about the, the reaching forward to what lies ahead? What lies ahead of us? 
Well, if we jump over to verses 20 to 21, we find out. So verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So we have a heavenly hope and a promise. We are not citizens of this world, and boy am I thankful that we're not. This world is a mess and continues to get worse. Our home, our citizenship, our hope is in heaven, and we eagerly await the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 21 in the ESV is translated, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So we're going to get new bodies like the Lord Jesus' post-resurrection body, fit for heaven. It's not subject to sickness and, and decay and fatigue like these bodies are. And in those new bodies, we will spend all eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So why would we want to dwell on what's behind us when what's before us is so much greater, infinitely greater than anything that's behind us, anything that's where we're at currently. It's so much greater. And that brings us now to verse 14. So verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we're to press forward toward that goal of Christ-likeness. We know that in this world, in this body, we're never going to reach that goal perfectly, as Paul said earlier. But that's where the prize comes in. In 2 Timothy 4.8, it says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So when we reach heaven, when we get our new bodies, we will be awarded the crown of righteousness, the perfect, sinless righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our struggle with sin will be over. We will be like Christ in his sinless perfection, all because of what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary. Now we know that positionally, we have that righteousness at the moment of salvation. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's called justification. But practically, as long as we're still in this world, still in these bodies, we still struggle with sin. But the Holy Spirit is doing the work of sanctification in us, making us more like Christ and less like our sinful flesh. And then we reach glorification, that prize that we just talked about. The presence of sin is gone, and we fully reach the goal of Christ-likeness. And of course, that doesn't mean like Christ in, in terms of deity, but like him in his sinless perfection and righteousness. What a prize that is, to see our Savior face to face, to be fully like him in his sinless perfection, to spend all eternity praising, worshiping, and serving him. Nothing, nothing in this world can even come close to comparing to that. As I was saying earlier about singing, it's just, I find we gather together and at the breaking of bread on a Sunday morning and, and we're singing together, that's just a small taste of what heaven's going to be like to be praising and worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So we know what's ahead of us. We know the glory that awaits us when we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. But what do we do in the meantime? Well, in verses 15 to 16, we read, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, or mature, is another translation of that, have this attitude, and if, any, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living, or literally following in line, by that same standard to which we have attained. So we are to have this attitude, this attitude of forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. That singular focus of pursuing that goal of Christ-likeness. Every aspect of our lives should point towards that one goal. That should be our focus. Now, as we just read, if we have a different attitude than that, the Lord's going to point that out to us, and he's probably going to give us an attitude adjustment. Now, in verse 16, we read, However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. So what's our standard? Anyone? What's the standard that we live by? What's, what, what's the standard that we carry around in our hands? Uh, Bible. So the unchangeable word of God, that is our standard. We are to be reading it, studying it, meditating on it, and obeying it, applying it to our lives. We need to study how the Lord Jesus Christ lived, how he spoke, how he treated others, how he acted, and pattern our own lives after that. If you're the kind of person that likes to have a practical takeaway from a message and something to go home and, and do, I would challenge you this week, read through the Gospels, study the life of the Lord Jesus, see what he did, how he treated people, how he interacted with others, and, and make note of that and, and apply that to your own life. I know I'm going to be doing that this week myself. So that's how the process of sanctification happens, becoming more like Christ. We need to be in the word and in prayer, and by God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're being sanctified or changed to be more like Christ. And just before I tell you a story, I want to jump back to verse 10. Because contrary to false ideas, the Christian life is not supposed to be one of ease, pleasure, and material prosperity. That's a very popular idea in our world, but it is not true. So in verse 10 to 11, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So here Paul is talking about participating in Christ's sufferings, being conformed to his death. If we are pursuing Christ's likeness, we want to be more like Christ, why would we expect to walk a different road than the Lord Jesus did? We need to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, even to the point of death. To live and to walk as Christ did in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord and the prize that awaits us. Now, I'd like to tell you a story. A lot of you are familiar with this story because you were praying for us as we were going through this. And I would just like to say to everyone that was praying, thank you. 
the Lord answered in an amazing way. So as some of you know, Laura and I and the girls, we rent the property that we live on. So that includes a house and a detached garage that I use for my business. We've been there almost three years now, and it works so well for us. The Lord provided exactly what we needed. It's just a perfect fit. We were always under the impression that it was a long-term rental. We had no intentions of going anywhere. That is until this past July when our landlord came to us and said, the market's hot, we want to sell. So we thought, okay, that's interesting. We have no idea what we're going to do. We knew that we didn't have enough cash to uh, put a down payment on it to buy it and just really didn't have a piece about getting into a mortgage right now either. So I thought, well, I guess we're moving again. Now, I don't think anybody enjoys moving, but it is especially not fun to move when you have an entire workshop and business to move along with the household. It's not a fun process. But more than that, there was nothing to move to. We looked online, there was nothing available. We had nowhere to move, so we thought, okay, this is, this is an interesting situation. So we prayed about it, and we said, Lord, if, if it be your will for us to stay here, and, and you'd provide a way for us to stay here in whatever way, we had no idea, that would be wonderful. But if you have a purpose in us moving somewhere else, if you have a reason for wanting us in another location, we will gladly follow your lead. We knew that the Lord would provide a new place, even though there's nothing out there available. The Lord would provide a place. He would provide the time and, and the strength to, to make that move. So we just completely surrendered it to the Lord. So to make a long story short, one day Laura was texting with our next door neighbor and told them that we were, looks like we we're going to be moving and, and why. And it turns out that our next door neighbors had been thinking about buying a rental property in our area for a while now. And when they found out about our place being up for sale or going to be up for sale, they said, we'll buy it and continue to rent it to you guys. We were completely blown away. We were not expecting that in any way, shape or form. So the Lord provided a miraculous way for us to stay in a way that we were completely not expecting. Now from that point until the point of the closing, there were lots of hurdles that had to be overcome and the Lord orchestrated every detail of that perfectly and made it all come together. So the house closed a couple weeks ago. So thank you again to everybody that was praying. I know that a lot of you guys were praying. The Lord is faithful. So I wanted to tell that story for two reasons. Number one, to give glory to the Lord for what he's done. And number two, to share with you guys what the Lord has worked in us through that process when it comes to forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So in the few months of it looking like we were most likely going to be moving, that's when the Lord was really pressing Philippians 3.13 into my heart, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, speaking very practically, when you start looking at a move, you start thinking, okay, what can I get rid of? How can I lighten the load here? What, what can I unload from, from our, our household or whatever to make the move a little bit easier? Now, if you've ever gone through the process of purging, you can probably identify with me when I say that there's inevitably a lot of things that you have that you have absolutely no use for, but you're keeping it because it's tied to your past in some way. I've had it since I was a kid, or so-and-so gave it to me, whatever. You don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having keepsakes, especially things that hold memories of a person or, or a loved one. 
But at the same time, we can get easily weighed down by the things from our past. And when those things hinder us from freely moving forward or having our focus on that goal, then that's a problem. Now, even though we didn't end up moving in the end, I ended up selling off quite a few things that I just didn't need anymore. And the only reason, pretty much the only reason I was hanging on to them is they were tied to my past in some way. Now, the important thing here is not the possessions themselves. Yes, there's a practical side to lightening the load before a move or avoiding becoming a hoarder and being tragically crushed in an avalanche of your own belongings. But as always, the key thing is the heart, our attitude, our focus, our affections. It doesn't matter what possessions we have or don't have. It doesn't matter where we live, the house that we live in. It's all very temporary. Our home, our citizenship is in heaven, and our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to read from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If you'd like to turn there, you can, or you can just listen as I read through. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on, or be intent on, the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So in verses 1 to 2, we see that we are to seek the things above where Christ is. We are to be heavenly-minded and eternally-minded. As Paul talked about earlier, having that singular focus, that goal of Christ-likeness, that one thing I do. We're not to be distracted by the things of this world and the things from our past. Those things just weigh us down. In verses 3 to 4, we see that Christ is our life. The moment we put our faith and our trust in him, we are united with him in his death and resurrection. He is the source of our life. And it's only by his power and the work of the Holy Spirit that we can do any of what we've been talking about here this morning. This is not something that we can do in our own strength. This is a work of the Lord. And at the end of verse 4, we see again the prize, the future glory of being with Christ for all eternity and being made like him. Now in Hebrews 12 verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So an encumbrance, the definition of an encumbrance is a burden or an impediment. Anything that slows us down or distracts us from pursuing that goal of Christ-likeness. We need to lay it aside. We need to leave it behind. We need to run the race and reach forward to what lies ahead. Now, if I said, okay, we're going to have a race. I know everybody likes to have a race. So we're going to have a race, and the start line is going to be here at Northbrook, and the finish line is going to be the front doors of Ikea. 
well, are you going to say, well, I'll maybe bring my tablet along and you know, I'll do some online shopping along the way, maybe watch a couple YouTube videos to help pass the time as, as I'm running along? Of course not. That's going to weigh you down. That's going to be an impediment to you. You're going to leave that behind. It's going to keep your focus off of that finish line. You want to get to the, the front doors of Ikea. You want to win. You want to run in a way to win. So in the same way, we need to leave behind our past sins, failures, achievements, or successes. We need to forgive those who have wronged us in the past. We can't hang on to that. And we need to continually deal with any current sin in our lives. Anything that slows us down, anything that entangles or distracts us, anything that takes our eyes off of that goal, that goal of Christ-likeness, we need to leave it behind. Now, even when it comes to wishing that we could go back to this time or that time, or, oh, I wish we could go back to pre-COVID, no, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Because no matter what's behind us, good or bad, it doesn't even come close, not even close, to what's before us. So let us, like Paul, keep that singular focus, that one thing we do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. Let us press on toward that goal of Christ-likeness and the prize that awaits us. Let us keep our minds set on the things above and not on the things of this earth. And let our eyes stay focused on our creator, our savior, the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together, Lord, to look into your word. Lord, to see what your word has to say about our lives, how you would have us live. Lord, the goal that is before us, the prize that awaits us. Lord, we long for that day when we will see you face to face. Lord, when the struggle with sin will be over. Lord, we will be made like you in your perfect righteousness. Lord, all because of what you have done for us on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we thank you that you have stepped down into this sin-cursed earth. Lord, as we talked about this morning, taking on human flesh, Lord, you are our high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that our hearts this morning would be challenged, convicted, encouraged, Lord, by what we've heard from your word. And Lord, may our lives be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would be salt and light in this world. Lord, to those around us that are watching, that they would see Christ lived out through us. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength. Lord, lead, guide, and direct us. We pray that you would have your hand upon each one, Lord, as we part ways today. And Lord, we just give you thanks for who you are and all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe in closing, we could sing Knowing You. Knowing You. Thank you.